shade and everything. We're uh, praying it doesn't rain. But um, thank you guys for, for spending your Mother's Day morning with us. So to all of the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Um, we want to celebrate you guys. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're just going to begin singing some songs with Josh, uh, reminders of, of who exactly um, our God is and the fact that he has really made all of this. And, you know, as great as mothers are, God is the one who gives them their greatness. All right, so as we come together in worship, let's stand and worship and sing about how great our God is, how, how great and how good he is, uh, as we sing in all the earth.
and the dedications. Good morning. My name is Mark Klepsig, and I serve on the board here at the church and really want to welcome you, uh, whether you're joining us remotely through Zoom or uh, watching it later in the week, or if you're here with us today in the courtyard, we're really glad that you came today. Uh, and if you are a guest this morning, we have a free gift for you, a book called How Good is Good Enough. So we'd encourage you to grab one of those uh, on the resource table to my left on your way out this morning. So today we do have a parent and child dedication. So for all of the families that are going to be participating in that, if you can start coming forward and just stay on uh, by the planters, we'll be moving you up here with me in just a second. Um, so as has been said previously, you can find the song lyrics and the listening guide for our sermon this morning and connection card at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Um, and you'll want to go there uh, even if you're here today. So if you're here today, you probably were offered a physical copy of those things. But what you don't have is cute pictures of these kids. So uh, there's another tab at that location on, on the website. And if you go there, you'll see uh, some really cute pictures. We're never really guaranteed what mood they're going to be in when they come up front here. So we wanted to make sure you see them at their best. Um, so there's kids' worksheets and offering envelopes also on the table to my left. Um, we are really generously supported by a regular crowd, but if you'd like to give, um, you can do so online or uh, in the bucket on your way out on the table. So our announcement today is we're no longer requiring registration. So... Uh, we did an RSVP this morning, and that has a couple implications. One is one less email in your inbox every week. 
could be good. Uh, also, we are, the facilities team is diligently looking at patterns of who's coming and setting up groups of chairs. But you may need to move a chair here or there or grab one of the extra ones that's uh, located at the back each week, just depending on the size, because we won't be customizing chair setup for the RSVPs since there isn't one. Secondly, uh, we won't be pre-making name tags. So there's name tag tables uh, with pre-sanitized pens and then used pens, so make sure you grab from the right bucket. And please fill out a name tag so that we can get to know each other better. All right, at this time, I'd like to invite the families to come up. I'm gonna step down and hopefully we can fit on the top stairs here. So as they are coming, um, I just want to say just a little bit about what we are doing. So it's both a parent and a child dedication. Um, so if we don't fit, maybe we can have another row down at the bottom. Um, but anyway, there's we're dedicating, the, the parents are here this morning to dedicate themselves to raising their kids really in the way that's pleasing to God that gives them the best chance of um, really having success and joy and a fulfilling life, uh, making scriptures their guide. And the children, we are dedicating them this morning, the parents are dedicating them really to God's purposes. So we, we know that God has a unique plan and purpose for every one of us. And so these families are just dedicating their children to fulfill those purposes that God has for them. So I'm gonna let them introduce one another. Um, we'll go one by one. I'm Enoch. Um, yeah, so this is Faith Chow here. She is a little bit sleepy, but she's great. So, And she's Bethany. She's my wife. And Please. I, I give her all the credit for a cute daughter. <laughs> we might agree with that. I'm Chris, and this is Elliot, and my wife, Sammy. Hi, my name is Jeremy, and this is our daughter, Ruth. She just turned one a few about a week ago, and this is my wife, Katie. Hi, I'm David, and this is my wife, Christine, and our daughter, Lois. Hi, I'm Ian. Uh, this is my wife, Mandy, and this is our son, Ezra. Hi, I'm Chris, and this is uh, my wife, Amy, <laughs> and our son, Hudson, in North Dakota. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. This is my wife, Joyce, and our daughter, Zoe. I'm Gerald. This is Margaret. And this is Isaac and Zachary. Thank you. Okay, so um, very quickly, there's, there's a few examples, but a notable one is Joseph and Mary in the scriptures uh, gave us the example of presenting Jesus before God. And in Luke 2, 22 through 23, it says, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And then there's a couple verses just to frame what I was saying earlier about how these families are really dedicating their kids um, and their families and their time together um, to, to give their kids the best chance of, of success. So, in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so really, we are meant to just 
take uh, God and make him part of the family and, and explain, you know, the things that happen that are successful, why God was really in that, and the things that are difficult, how do we process that in light of the scriptures, and how does that really speak practically to our lives? And then we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, and then the next verse. So in, in Ephesians, um, the writer's telling us, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, and the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. So um, we really want to have the best life for our kids, so we want to teach them how to live under authority. As parents, we're the, really the first authority that they have to, to look to, and as we teach them how to obey and submit to authority, it's going to really go well with them the rest of their lives. And then uh, a special verse for fathers, because we have a special gift. Uh, the next verse, verse 4, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So sometimes we like to play, and it's playing the first couple times, and then the next six times, maybe not so much. <laughs> we know how to push buttons, and so it's really just telling us we really want to be alongside them and be on their team and not abandon our role as training and instructing. And so within that context, it's what we're going to make this commitment, um, and I will try to step out of the way so that you guys can see. Um, so in, you guys can repeat after me. There's some ver words in blue on the screen, um, and I'll say both words. So you have to choose him or her, and you have to say their names. So I recognize, I recognize that my child belongs to God. The Lord has first claim on his or her life. I dedicate your child's name to the Lord, and I commit myself to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And for this I ask the power of God. All right, I'd like to take just a minute to pray uh, for them. And for us, as we are a community that is here to support and help that, uh, as we dedicate ourselves also as to being that community. Father God, thank you so much for today, for these families, and for these children that are truly gifts from you. Um, we just really appreciate what you do in the lives, the miracle of, of birth and of giving us the opportunity to have such a huge impact. Father, I pray for these families that they would really... Um, be strengthened, be encouraged, um, be energized to day by day, more and more get to know you, and then to model what that means in the lives uh, of their kids, to really take the time to explain and, um, and to create a context of love and acceptance and instruction and discipline that's going to provide the best chance for these kids someday to come to a relationship with you. Father, I pray for each of us that we would be taking the initiative to see how we can help and partner with them as they do that very difficult and um, exciting task. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. You guys can go take a seat. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, we have... Uh, we're very, we're, we are very glad that everyone's here with us today. Um, and we have one more song before Rick comes up and brings the message. Thanks.
Would you guys stand with us as we continue singing? That's really a prayer that we can all pray, that last bit. May the Lord empower us to do all these things that are right. It's not through our own strength. It's not through our own ability or our own working, our own trying. It's not through us. It's through Jesus in us. Would you sing this out with us? Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's not through us. Dark, but I am 
Dear Heavenly Father, um, God, I just thank you so much for this time that we have to come together as a church to just praise your name. Um, God, you are the King of Kings. Um, God, I just pray for Rick as he um, comes up to deliver this message that you would just bless him and give him the words to speak and that you would also just give us the, the heart and the open ears to listen and to receive God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, yes, and have a seat. Work it, work up. thank the worship band i really enjoyed and uh, was blessed uh, to sing along with the music i want to especially thank the parents and the little children that were here i took a nice panoramic shot uh so i can show my family when i get home uh, you know I, w I would love to post it on facebook's the largest child dedication ever but uh you know i want your permission for that uh, my my daughter controls the um postings of our granddaughter uh, until she can make her own choice. So I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say that goes for you as well. Um, and Mark, he did such a fantastic job. I thought, I can't, I'm, I'm glad it's not me. You know, do you realize the disaster possibilities with nine little kids up there? Uh, and he just handled it masterfully and actually uh, helped kind of set the tone for what I'm going to uh, be speaking about. If you have access to uh, a Bible, whether it's uh, in your hand or um, online somehow, uh, Matthew 20, verse 20, so 2020, uh, is where we're going to look at. But you have um, some notes that are available online, uh, also in print, if you um, manage to pick those up. Um, and this is, uh, the title of my message is Jesus and a Jewish Mother's Request. Um, you know, as you know, there are four sections in the New Testament that we call Gospels. They're sort of um, a new genre of biography uh, because they're very much tilted, uh, not evenly spread over the chronology of Jesus' 30-plus years of life, but tilted towards the last week of his life on earth. And this is nudging right up to that, into that last week when this event happens. And uh, this story is embedded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And one of the reasons you can, uh, the, these gospels, these biographies, have such a ring of truth is because when they tell the same story, they don't tell it the same. Which if you've you know, spent that much time in the law or in the court, when you have multiple witnesses of the same event, they're not seeing the same way. Uh, even the videos that we are, you know, exposed to or uh, thrown at us, it uh, depends. Even the video doesn't all tell it the same way. And so that doesn't bother me at all because uh, I've been in a court case and I brought a witness and someone else brought a different witness and I thought, you know, I'm a pretty crummy witness. You know, I, I said the color was dark blue. Well, it turned out the car was black. You know, so it's just stuff like that. But... It's, um, it's the plurality of witness that builds credibility. 
And uh, so I, I, you know, I love that about the scriptures. And another thing I love is how Jesus is able to connect with us when our emotions are high. You know, he sees when the, his disciples or others are, are angry or afraid, he sees that as a teachable moment. We're more teachable, you know, during those moments. And that's exactly what Mark said uh, when he was talking to you fathers. Uh, so this uh, the story starts out in verse 20 in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Now, um, I imagine myself as an illustrator. And I wondered if maybe she had them by the ears, you know? She brings her boys up there. I don't, I don't think she did have them by the ears, but um, I thought about that. Uh, but she definitely makes them come. Now, did your mom ever make you do something you didn't really want to do? That's the nature of motherhood, right? That's what they're supposed to do. And I'm not sure that James and John were so much into this, but maybe they were. Maybe they put her up to it rather than her putting them up to it. Um, and then she, she kneels. She kneels before Jesus and asked him for something. Um, and that's pretty serious when somebody gets on their knees um, to ask for something. And the way she asks it, you know, she asks, I'm going to ask you to make me a promise. Will you make the promise? Well, naturally, I wouldn't want to say, what's the promise first? Uh, but uh, Jesus listens to this and, and navigates this. Now, what's at issue in what's about to come is the issue of pride of place, of status. Now, it's interesting how this happens because this is right at the moment of the third prediction of Jesus of his suffering. Um, you know, I wish uh, maybe when someone is baptized, having taken Christ as Lord, and they've made it public, and, and we've dunked them, somehow we should give them a warning sign, suffering ahead, uh, because that happens. If we're going to follow Christ closely, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be suffering. For Christ's sake, it's going to happen as we go on mission with him. And so these three warnings of suffering ahead. But this one is the instance of the most specific, where Jesus kind of lays out exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be crucified. And then he's going to be resurrected. Now, it's hard to get your head around that. Um, and so um, Mrs. Ebedee and her boys didn't really know what they were asking because they didn't realize fully that future glory comes through present suffering. Future glory comes through present suffering. Now, when you and I watch uh, highlights on, on, on the internet or on television of great athletes, whether it's you know, women in, in gymnastics, running, whatever, or men, um, we see the result of a great deal of suffering and practice, practice, practice. You know, the gold medal winners, the highlight moments, they don't come easily. They don't just happen. They come because of suffering. 
the discipline of that. And these, these that are asking this question, they, they didn't have this so much into mind. So he says to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine, James and John, may sit one in your right and one in your left. But Jesus answered, you don't really know what you're asking. Are you able to drink? Now he's looking to the boys. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? That I'm about to drink. Now he's told them that he's going to be arrested and beaten and crucified. This must be what he's talking about. This is about to happen. I'm going to drink the cup of suffering. Mission has suffering. And then they said, we are able. And one of the things I love about Jesus is um, he accepts that uh, from them. Now, just a, just a moment. James is going to become the first apostle uh, to be a martyr. So he's definitely going to drink that cup that Jesus drank from. And he's going to do it, it happens in the New Testament. You know, he's the only one described in the New Testament, only apostle who dies. Um, John was the youngest of the apostles. Um, and now he's youngest, but he'll be the last of the apostles to die. And he's the only one that dies a natural death if we understand the record correctly. Um, and he's the author of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, um, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation. Um, so these are two really important people in, in the Christian tradition. So she wants her sons to be winners in sort of the Game of Thrones, if I can say it that way. Um, now, let me make a disclaimer here. I have seen exactly 30 seconds of the Game of Thrones in my life, so I'm not advocating that to anybody. However, the reason the title is Game of Thrones is because the world always plays Game of Thrones and expects you to play it. So there's winners and losers in the Game of Thrones, and she wants her boys to be winners, especially at the heavenly kingdom, Game of Thrones. And Jesus, talking to James and John, he, he does not correct their ambition. Ambition isn't a sin. Ambition isn't wrong. Um, and Jesus doesn't correct that piece. They just don't know how the game of heaven works. And there's a difference between the worldly way of success and the heavenly way of success. There are two, uh, two issues in reality, kingdom reality, that they don't get. The first is that her boys must drink from Jesus' cup, the cup of suffering. And I wonder if she would have asked this if she knew the path it would put them on. Um, and then second, the father has already determined the heavenly seating chart. Um, until my youngest daughter got married, I didn't realize the power of a seating chart. And it was very interesting you know, to watch these 
I guess, 200 guests. I should know how many it was because I had to pay for it. But anyway, um, how getting this all organized and sorted out correctly and uh, where's the space this is going to be. She was married outdoors. And um, Jesus said, the father's got the seating chart. And he's deciding where people will sit. And I don't have control of that, Jesus is saying. Um, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And I like how we just sang about the Father and his authority. You know, I was looking at these trees and, that have been pruned, and I've noticed a couple of other trees that have been pruned, and I, uh, especially this way and the very first one when you come in, and, you know, the scripture says in John 15 that the father is the Georgos, the, the vine dresser. He's the pruner. And I thought, Lord, um, let me chase one quick rabbit. I have a friend who since COVID and social distancing has not had his, any hair on his face cut. And so when you look at him, and he's, he's white-haired like me, it's just a white giant Q-tip. And, you know, I, I wonder if the Lord looks at me sometime and I, I haven't been pruned by the scripture and cut this off. That's not of the Lord, you know. And so I just said, Father, please prune me. Prune me. The scripture says, the one, you know, it's, it's where you prune that bears new fruit. And, and I want to be that. I want to be fruitful as a Christian, as a follower. Um, so Jesus had a nickname for these two boys. Uh, they were Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Um, they were a lively bunch. They were in the first four persons invited to be apostles, to be followers of Jesus. They were fishermen. They were partners with Peter and Andrew and their father's fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I, I just love that Jesus acknowledges these boys are lightning. They're sons of thunder. They're going to make noise. And uh, he invites them into that. And, you know, if you're a noisemaker or a quiet person, Jesus has a great way of inviting us just as we are uh, into his fellowship and into his service. And uh, now, if I was going to paint this picture, so Jesus is talking to the mother, he's talking to James and John, and he's looking over the shoulder, and there's, those other ten guys are back there. And they're angry. They're indignant, the scripture says. Now, what do you think they were angry about? You know, then Jesus, uh, uh, when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. What do you think they were mad about? Uh, do you ever do, you know, thinking along that line? I, I thought, well, maybe they're mad that they didn't think to ask first. You know, why didn't Peter get his mom to drag them up there? Um, maybe Bartholomew and, and, and the other James and uh, the Simon, the other Simon, or Judas. Uh, maybe they're, they're mad that these guys got first into the apostleship, the kingdom work of Jesus, and now they get to be first again. Um, Maybe there's concern along that line. Now, 
All of those concerns are sort of in the area of jealousy. All those concerns are the earthly Game of Thrones kind of stuff of getting ahead, you know, getting to the front of the line. Now, I've heard about this, um, and I, yeah, I, didn't, I, should, I should call him up and ask, is this really true? A friend of mine was a, a missionary in Israel, and the word on the street from his friends was, there's just something about him. He had to be the first person off the plane. Now, that didn't mean he sat in the closest seat to the door. It meant wherever he was seated, he wanted to be the first one off the plane. Have any of you ever gotten, you know, somebody was like that on the plane? You know, there's supposed to be a courtesy, right? You let these, these go ahead of you, and you wait your turn, and they're supposed to wait for you. But sometimes you meet people, that's not in their book. Their book is straight from the Game of Thrones. It's be the first off. That's what you want. Now, maybe they have claustrophobia. They can't take it anymore. Maybe they're smokers, and they got to go smoke. I don't know. Um, but he always had to be the first one off. And I just wonder about that. What's going on with that? And these guys had to be at the front of the line. Um, and Jesus does not want his kingdom to be infected by this kind of thinking because there's a different kind of thinking that he wants to bring. So, here, back to my painting. There are the ten guys at the back steaming, getting mad. So, Jesus stops the conversation and brings them up into the conversation. So, he's going to talk to them all at once. Um, and maybe there were mothers there. I don't know. Maybe it was Mother's Day and there were a bunch of mothers there. All of them have mothers, didn't they? Um, and then Jesus called them over and he said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, the nations, dominate them. And the men of high position exercise power over them. It's all about how many people have you got power over, authority over. How many people can you boss around? It must not be like that among you. That's not the way my kingdom works. It is not the way. So you have to have a choose. You're going to do it Jesus' way or you're going to do it the world's way. It must not be like that among you. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. Um, in 1932, in Chicago, there was a man named Herbert Taylor whose company was going bankrupt. Uh, they um, manufactured and distributed aluminum kitchenware. But they owed more money to their creditors than the company was worth. And he's the CEO. So he's the lead guy in a ship that's sinking. And everybody thought there's no way to keep this company out of bankruptcy. There's no way to save the company. There's no way to get it going forward. I guess the creditors were thinking about how do we dissolve this and get some recovery on our funds invested. Um, but Herbert Taylor was a Christian. And so he began praying, is there some way out of this? And he was convinced that it could be saved. And if he could just change the ethic 
of the way they were doing business. They had great competitors. Um, and so they couldn't come up with a better product, but they could be a better company. Well, if they're going to be a better company, how, what would they need to do? And so he starts reading all these books to find you know, a company policies that would work to change the company and give it a different reputation. And he got nothing. So he said, I always do what I do when I'm desperate. I prayed. <laughs> and he asked the Lord to guide him and give him some wisdom for this. And he said, as soon as I stopped praying, the answer came. The answer came in 24 words. And he wrote it down. Uh, because what he wanted was an ethic that everybody could memorize and practice. It was instantly memorable. And these were written down as four tests of whether or not this decision and practice should be carried out. It came to be called the four-way test. Now, you don't have this in your notes, but um, it's just 24 words. The first question is, is it the truth? Is it the truth? You know, no company has any measure of success if it doesn't have a way of marketing and talking about itself. Is it the truth? The second, is it fair to all concerned? Is it fair to everybody concerned? Third, will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And then the final one, and I know, Chaplain, you know, these, you know all these questions. Um, will it be beneficial to all concerned? Will it be beneficial? Now, Herbert Taylor, once he got these four questions, he, he wanted to test drive them himself. And so he, he starts to practice them, and he says in his own testimony that I wasn't really good at it. <laughs> um, I realized how many of my practices did not conform. They didn't pass these four tests. You know, truthfulness, fairness, beneficial, building friendship. And so he had to change his own behavior before he could take it to his vice presidents and see what they thought of it. But after a couple of weeks of trial and failure and practice, he, he took it to the four. Now, what I thought was so interesting is these four guys had four different, were from four different religious traditions, from Orthodox Judaism to Christian science and so forth. And, and so he shared it with them, and he says, does, does anybody's faith, you know, does this contradict your faith? In and they said, no, so let's, let's try it out. He put it to practice. Anyway, these sort of common grace principles changed the way people looked at this company. The company had credibility because in their advertising, they wouldn't put down their competitors. They would only speak the truth and they wouldn't exaggerate. All those superlatives people like to use, they just eliminated all of that overstatement and just spoke the truth. Their product was still the same. Their competitors still had good products, comparable products, but the credibility of their company made it profitable. The credibility of this common grace changed the company. Um, uh, incidentally, uh, years later, uh, Rotary International heard about these four tests and asked if they could take it over 
and build it in the core of their, uh, of their uh, service organization. And uh, that was agreed to. As long as this company, uh, it was called um, Club Aluminum, could continue to use it in the way it had been used. Now, why do I share this with you? Um, in a way, this is a way of fleshing out being a servant to others. And I just want you to know that those that have tried this, those that have done it Jesus' way, have had phenomenal lives. Now, I'm not saying they're successful in every instance, but when you practice the kingdom, the heaven comes to the earth. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying uh, to James and John and to the other ten um, with reference to service. So you win in the worldly Game of Thrones by getting others to serve you or getting the best place at the table. Uh, I had a friend of mine, and this was in South Korea. There was a big dinner for all the, the leaders in this organization, and my friend's nephew, um, because he could translate English and, and Korean, he sat really at the front table near our president. And his aunt, who was also at the table for other reasons, she didn't like, I, I guess, I don't think she liked it that her nephew had a better seat than she had, maybe. Or she felt like it was impolite of him, being one of the youngest people in the whole room, to take such a high seat. And, of course, he did it because he wanted to be available to offer translation. Uh, I won't tell you how it turns out. But anyway, um, I think she was reading it like a Game of Thrones rather than a Game of Service. One wins in the kingdom, Game of Thrones, not by your place at the table, but by how you serve those at the table. Um, Jesus uses two words in this. He used servant and slave. Uh, the servant word is diakonos, which is the word we get our deacon word from. And I was trying to think, okay, what is the real difference between servant and slave really? And I think servant means someone who kind of stirs up the dust uh, in order to meet the needs of others. They get, they get it done. They get after it. They get going. You know, each time, each time I come to CIV early, there are, are dust stirrer-uppers at work here for hospitality. We really think that. And after the service is over, those same people come back up and put, you know, this is the kind of church where a lot of assembly is required, and, which means this assembly has to be required. Well, that, there are a lot of servants here. Um, the other word, dulo, slave, we react to that more strongly, perhaps we should. It means someone who serves anyone and everyone without thought of repayment or appreciation. You know, it's hard to not be appreciated. Uh, but this person's attitude, this, this slave attitude is, I don't expect appreciation from you, but I know I have appreciation from above. Um, I remember my, my first, I, you know, I'm, I, I teach for a gateway seminary. Uh, you know, I've been, I, I, I've been upwardly mobile and downwardly mobile. Uh, I'm sort of holding even right now. But anyway, my first job was I was the night librarian at the seminary. 
And I, I started at $2 an hour, and I got a pay raise once to $2.25 an hour. And, you know, it's, you know, back in the dark ages, that was big pay. Um, but I remember uh, there's seasons in the semester where nobody comes to the library at night. <laughs> you know, they all procrastinate, wait till the end of, you know, when the papers are due and such. And I have to put the books back up on the shelf. I have to check the books back in. It was a seriously boring job. And I, I remember as I'm putting these dusty books back on the shelf, uh, and, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I, I, I don't know about this job. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. And then this verse came to me, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not to men. And I said, okay, I get it. I get it. Lord, it's your library. I'm your librarian. I'm your night librarian. I'm going to put these books up as to you. It changes everything. When you go about your job, no matter how underappreciated you are, you go about your job as unto the Lord. He's a wonderful paymaster, a thrilling paymaster, um, when you do it as unto him and not to others. Um, whoever exalts himself, this is verse 12, and this is a reality statement. Whoever exalts himself or herself will be humbled. Uh, the, I, I stuck an extra word in there. Others, if you just crossed it out, cross it out. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoever humbles himself or herself will be exalted. Now, this is how God deals. This is, this is the divine stock market. This is how it works. God keeps an eye on people. And the more proud I let myself become, the more puffed up I let myself become, the more somebody's going to come along to prick me and pop my bubble. But the more humble I'm willing to go about the world, I feel the lift of the Holy Spirit uh, lifting me up to take me where he wants and when he wants to whom he wants. So how about your life? How are you trying to run it? Building yourself up? I have a couple of friends who like to talk about themselves. And I love them, so I tolerate it. Um, and uh, but you know, it's always about them. Somehow the conversation always comes back to them as quick as they can make it. But others, uh, they're just humble. It's joyful to be around. And I want to be like that. It's what Jesus says too. That's the kind of people he likes to be around, um, because that's the kind of person he was. So spiritual authority. Now, authority is an interesting word in the scripture. This is the power to do what needs to be done. It's executive, execution power. It flows to service, humility, and suffering. You know, when God throws the switch to send power, that's who he's going to send the power through. They become the superconductors for what the kingdom wants to get done. So now, what can, what can I do? I think first thing is, I need to make Christ the center of my identity. I need to make Christ Lord. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I preached a sermon about being spirit-filled, being directed by the Spirit. And that sermon bugged me the whole next week. I think I shared this with you. Until I figured out the way to do that is you've got to crown Christ as King every day. And then yesterday I realized that the Holy Spirit is brilliant. He looks at me and he will always fill me if I have made Christ the center, 
if I've made Christ the king. It's as if that action is like a funnel for the Holy Spirit to dive into my life. Um, so try it. Uh, scripture keeps a promise like that. Um, make Christ the center of your identity. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, um, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. That's what I want, that kind of life. And uh, look at verse 28, uh, very famous words in Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many, for the many. What Christ is going to do on the cross is pay a ransom. And, you know, if there's anybody here that feels you're just under a burden of, of offense, of sin, of tra transgression, you're under a, a pain of guilt and penalty, um, a ransom has been paid for you. Christ's death on the cross is an infinite payment for sin. And it's for the many. You don't need to exclude yourself. Cry out to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Uh, express your gratitude for that. This, this payment from captivity to self and its consequences becomes effective for any person who turns to Christ. Any person who turns to Christ. Any time a person turns to Christ. This morning, it could be effective for you to change your life, to change your destiny. Um, so, having received that, express your gratitude and devotion to Jesus. One way that um, you, 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 I don't have to tell you this because it's just going to happen. If this has happened to you and you're filled with gratitude, who are you going to say, how are you going to say thank you? You know, those people that get here early, you know, to set up the sound system, to do all this wiring, uh, you know, so that we can have live TV. Um, their actions are just saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you. You got to have a way to say thank you with your service. Now, to make your service more effective, you need to get training. It's the church's responsibility to offer you training in the Word, in Scripture. How do you interpret Scripture? How do you understand it? How does the Bible work? Teach you about prayer and giving and all those elements. Um, and so take advantage of those. Get training. Get more training. Get even more training. Um, when I die, I hope they put it on my, my grave. He never stopped learning. You know, I think... Real living is always learning. So learn. Get training. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you know this about this church. I've noticed something. New members are new ministers. Does that make sense? New ministers. So you're trained to be a minister here. Now, don't leave it up to just this church to get training. Find training any place and every place. You be responsible for your training. You know, you're, you were responsible for applying for admission to whatever college or university you went to. Um, apply yourself to get that training, uh, to be more effective, to be more fruitful, uh, to more joy. Now, I'm going to tell you a, a story real quick, and then we'll end. Um, my, uh, when my, I mentioned my younger daughters. 
uh, wedding uh, two years ago. It was a great event. But one day, I went into my garage. Now, there's very few times like this that ever happened. My garage was empty. But when I went in there, I was expecting to see an empty garage. There's nothing more peaceful to walk into your garage and it's empty. You know, there's, there's not a bunch of junk stacked in there. There's not five cars rammed in there, whatever. And I was expecting a nice, cool, shady place just to go out there. And I walked out there and it was full of tables. I mean, and on, on the table were 25 centerpieces for my daughter's wedding. And my daughter had organized exactly what she wanted for each of those tables. So she knew which centerpiece on which table according to the seating chart. And I was overwhelmed at how much my daughter was preparing for this event that was coming up. Uh, with love and creativity and commitment. And then I thought about Jesus. Scripture says that when he comes again, he's going to take us to this thing called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that there's going to be a, 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 a ceremony, a massive ceremony between Jesus and his body, the church. And I just wonder if, you know, maybe the father has this giant garage and Jesus is in the garage at the table making these centerpieces because he wants you there. He, he's prepared a place for you in the father's house, in the father's garage. He's got that centerpiece for you because he wants you there. Such is his love for you um, that he goes to prepare a place for you. And if you grab onto that, you won't. It, it answers your anxiety about life to know there's that much love between heaven and earth for you uh, to receive. So um, may you and I take to heart the words of the Lord this day. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for these words. They're, they're precious to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your competence and your character to respond to these apostles and their mothers and to get that recorded for us this day. May your spirit come upon these words in our heart. And if there's a person here, Lord, that could find, can hear your voice and know that you've prepared a place for them, that you've paid a ransom for them, that you want an eternal friendship and relationship with them. Father, May you send your spirit upon us now so that we can receive that and, and give our lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you, Rick. Uh, we're going to play some songs and we're going to uh, I invite you guys to sort of reflect on what we're talking about today. Um, and to really respond with those two things, to think about how you can get some training, how you can respond in gratefulness to what our God has done, um, and also to, to really have that gratitude. So you can always fill out your connection card. There's more information on there. Um, and if you'd like to serve at church, there are plenty of service teams looking for help too.
But let's take some time to, to pray together to the Lord.
Shame into glory. 
します。